Once again, welcome everybody to another edition of the Peru Miron podcast. As always, I'm your host, Pete Lieb. I appreciate you coming out and spending some time with me again tonight. Tonight, we are going to continue our discussion with author and researcher Steve Ubaney. He wrote the book, Who Murdered Elvis? It's one of a number of books in his series, whomurderedbooks.com. That's where you can find the books online. He has a book currently on Who Murdered Elvis, Who Murdered FDR, and he will also have a book coming out shortly regarding Who Murdered Princess Diana. This is the continuation of an earlier podcast that we had last week where we talked about and outlined the early years of Elvis, how he rose to fame, how he got involved with Colonel Tom Parker, his manager, who he surrounded himself with, how he ultimately got involved with the mob. And we were just now getting to the point where his body has been discovered and there are suspects involved. And why don't we go ahead and get started once again with the podcast in progress with Stephen Ubaney and Who Murdered Elvis? So Elvis is found dead on the floor. The body is discovered by Al Strada, who was one of Elvis Presley's handlers, one of the people who worked for him. He was supposed to fly out on tour that day. So they had the 24-hour crew go ahead of time, the setup crew. So seven-eighths of the people are already in Portland, Maine, setting up the new tour, the next tour. Elvis was supposed to fly out that night. So you had Al Strada, you had Joe Esposito, and you had um, Charlie Hodge, charge of the wardrobe. They all have their certain duties and they're getting everything ready so Elvis can hop the plane and they can all fly out together, okay? They get the call, Ginger finds Elvis, okay? He's face down in front of the toilet. El Strada tell, calls the EMTs, and this is loaded with loaded with, with a fairy tale and riddle. Uh, so according to the official story, uh, he falls off the toilet. They call 911 at a time when 911 didn't exist in Memphis, by the right. way. So they call the EMTs. The EMTs come. They take him to Baptist Memorial, which was not the closest hospital, by the way, but they knew it was a hospital where they could fudge things a little. So they take him to Baptist Memorial. He's pronounced dead. Okay. There's about 32 problems with that. Elvis was never on the toilet. We've heard this story multiple times. Mm -hmm. Elvis, when they found him, he was dead for easily eight, nine hours. Oh, wow. Are you familiar with the term liver mortis? You know what rigor mortis is? Right. Yes. Liver mortis. Are you familiar with that? They probably no, won't. I'm not. Okay. So um, I have the luxury of knowing some, uh, some <laughs> forensic pathologists. So I have, they help me a little bit with some of these terms. When your body, when you die and your heart stops pumping, liver mortis occurs when the blood pools on the lowest part of the body. Okay. Yeah. So Elvis died face down. So his face is going to be purple purple blackish purple mm -hmm. because he was face down and the blood would naturally cool there okay so elvis had been dead for hours he was colored blue black he was about seven feet away from the toilet dan warlick became one of my friends he was the investigator for jerry francisco who was the medical examiner on the case dan died what two years ago now and i had a lot of interesting conversations with dan he, he was the one who investigated the death scene and realized the death scene's been sanitized. The bed's been made up. There's no signs of a struggle anymore. The EMTs reported signs of a struggle and this and that. He gets there. The bed's made. Someone's been in there. Someone's been in there cleaning the death scene. So they're saying, okay, at Baptist Memorial Hospital, Joe Esposito said that Elvis died in bed. 
he found him dead in bed. By the time Joe Esposito gets to the house, now he's dead on the floor. This is one of the most magical corpses in history. We have right. a moving corpse, okay? So he says, okay, are you positively sure he died on the floor? Yeah, he died on the floor. So Dan Warlick was about 6'2", laid on the floor, stretched out as far as he could, and he found a wet spot in the carpet, which smelled like cleanser. They tried to clean up the regurgitation from where Elvis was. It was almost six and a half, seven feet away from the front of the toilet. Elvis was never on the toilet. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they take the body to autopsy or to, uh, to the Baptist Memorial Hospital. The first thing they do is rinse the stomach contents down the drain. So there goes a good autopsy. You can't have a thorough autopsy without stomach contents. So they're going through all of these things with a sanitized death scene. They can't figure out why Elvis is not, he's not alive. Can't figure it out. There's nothing wrong with this guy. So they're halfway through this autopsy. They can't find anything. The first thing they do, Dan Warlick examined Elvis Presley's, oh, they, I, I need to back up. They're going through the death scene and they're walking through every room and they're finding drug syringes. They found two drug syringes. But they were not, they had no needles in them. They were not the type of drug syringes that you would find um, in a doctor's office. They were like a cartridge where you would put the cartridge in, almost like a little mini caulking gun. They were like a skeleton and you would put mm-hmm. the syringe in there. Yeah. Found two of them, no marks on Elvis. They looked all over this guy, all over this guy, not a needle mark on Elvis. They have no idea what those drug syringes are doing there. I can tell you what they're doing there. They're doing what they're doing there. They're planted there to spin the story away from the murder that actually happened. Planted evidence. We're good at this. And, you know, I mean, the, the forces that, that be are good at this. So Elvis Presley, they're going through. The first thing they do when they get into Baptist Memorial Hospital is they dissect his vocal cords looking for anaphylaxis. They think he OD'd. Okay, did he have anaphylaxis? Did something close his throat? No sign of anaphylaxis. Elvis is allergic to codeine. 1969, he went to a dentist, uh, he went to a dental appointment and they gave him codeine for his dental work. Mm-hmm. He almost died. He went into anaphylaxis. If his doctor wasn't there, Elvis would have died. So they're looking for anything that would have happened to him. Can't find it. So Jerry Francisco, who was the medical examiner, had already said, I'm going to give uh, a press conference. And it was like six or seven o'clock. And I'm going to tell you what's wrong with Elvis. So here comes this guy on television. He should have been working for Grimm's Fairy Tales. He gets out there without one fingerprint being lifted from Graceland, without the autopsy results coming back, without the toxicology reports coming back. He tells everyone that Elvis Presley died of cardiac arrhythmia. You can't diagnose cardiac arrhythmia with a stopped heart. So he came up with something just to make people go away. And they did. They all went away. But we still have no idea what killed this guy. So they do three toxicology reports. One was by University of Tennessee, and it came back. There were different levels of toxicology, okay? There was trace, trace uh, amounts. There's therapeutic amounts, which is what a doctor would prescribe you. There's toxic amounts, which will make you sick. And, of course, there's lethal. We know what lethal is. Mm-hmm. case of Elvis Presley, the toxicology report came in just above therapeutic. Can't find any drugs that killed this guy. There wasn't enough in him. So when what was in him was prescribed. 
So they do another autopsy. You know, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. So they got to find these drugs. So they have to do another autopsy, which today they still haven't re, uh, revealed who's done this autopsy. Or I'm sorry, the toxicology report. So they have another toxicology report done still. They're not finding any high levels of drugs that cause this guy's problem. Elvis Presley was a veteran pill popper. Right. Because yeah. in 1969, he almost died of anaphylaxis. His doctor gave him the, physis the, the physician's desk reference. Elvis was an authority on drugs. He knew what to take with, you know, he had little, I, I've, I've seen pictures of this thing uh, through one of my friends. He had notes in, in, the, uh, in the margins. You show him a pill. They used to play a game. They used to show him a pill and he used to tell you who made it and what it was. I mean, this guy knew what he was doing. He's not going to just accidentally OD. So they still can't figure out what's going on. So they go and they give this ridiculous cause of death in just a matter of hours. In the case of Marilyn Monroe, it took her medical examiner 11 days to come back with her cause of death. So here's this idiot who's going to come up in a couple hours with the cause of death with nothing left and nothing in. So still trying to find the cause of death. So this is where the drug thing came from. Mm -hmm. Tissue samples, put them in dry ice, and they ship them off to California to bioscience laboratories under an assumed name. And one of the doctors at the autopsy tells them, you know, this is a this is a heavy duty case. You know, we need to know what's going on. Magically, it comes back at 11 times the lethal level of codeine. Well, if there's no codeine in the body, because there's no sign of anaphylaxis, because we already know Elvis Presley's allergic to codeine, how could it be in one and only one of the three toxicology reports? If it's not in the body, it can't be in the toxicology report. So that begs a couple questions. Who put it there? And why did they take that toxicology report to announce to the world that Elvis Presley died of this drug cocktail? So they take this erroneous piece of paper and they put it in front of my friend, Dr. Cyril Weck, who he, and they put a camera on him. And he pronounces to the world that Elvis Presley died of this cocktail of drugs that would have were so potent it would have taken down a herd of cattle. I talked to Dr. Weck about this. He had no idea there were two toxicology reports done before this. All they did was use his name to sell this phony narrative to the public. Can I ask you that what is the what is the benefit of these officials doing that? What is the benefit to them personally of not taking the time? Marilyn Monroe took 11 days. What is in it for uh, Mr. Francisco to come out within a couple hours with a bogus cause of death? multiple toxic toxic reports trying to find something what is the conspiracy what is his part in it elvis presley's a federal agent you know there's authorities bigger than your doctor you're basically going to do what they tell you to do so elvis so you think that your contention is that then that the federal government had a hand in his autopsy and his toxicology beyond question okay absolutely, absolutely. you know you're dealing with elvis was more famous than anybody who's ever been famous for sure Average people talk about meeting celebrities. Celebrities talk about meeting Elvis. When you have someone who's the biggest star in the world who is also doing secret operations for the government behind the scenes, you're going to want that to look as squeaky clean as possible. So that's one of the reasons why this was uh, why this was done. There was actually two auto, uh, two death certificates filed in, in the case of Elvis Presley. Jerry Francisco filed one. 
death certificate and his doctor, Dr. Nicopolis, filed another death certificate and they contradict each other. Yeah, to dispute it. You're right. Yeah. Elvis Presley, two, uh, a week before, Elvis Presley had two um, physical examinations head to toe, one for Lloyd's of London and one for another insurance company. There was no sign of cardiac arrhythmia. The guy passed him with flying colors. Would he have been better off just simply saying a heart attack? I mean, Elvis was mid-40s at that time. Would that have put off the same kind of red flags? Probably not, as saying he had a, he had a heart arrhythmia, which he couldn't have measured when it was stopped. It probably would have been better, but there were problems with that, too. Uh, Dan Warlick was one of the people who gathered all of the evidence at Graceland, all of the evidence at the autopsy, took it home that night, put it in his car, in the morning he came down, his car had been burglarized, the only thing that was missing with all the evidence from the autopsy and the pictures from Graceland. And those never turned up in like the National Enquirer or anything like that? They never turned up anywhere else where somebody might have been stealing no. them for profit? No. This no. was cover up at the highest level. So he's one of the people who took out all of Elvis Presley's vital organs hmm. along with a, and weighed every single one of them. And um, it's funny, he still had the... Uh, he still had the magnifying glass on his desk that, that he looked at Elvis Presley's body with. It was kind of funny. Darryl, um, Noel Florendo was an expert with the electron microscope. They took Elvis Presley's heart and cut it every 16th of an inch and looked, held it up to the slides and looked at every 16th of an inch hmm. of this guy's heart, looking for a clot, looking for a blockage, looking for something, anything. There was no gross evidence of a heart attack. Heart didn't kill Elvis Presley, and drugs didn't kill Elvis Presley. Can I also ask you then uh, just about the inconsistencies with the eyewitness stories? And when I was reading through the book, kind of the first thing that came to my mind was just thinking logically and just thinking kind of if your buddy, you we go in and we find him, and Joe Esposito, his name is Joe Esposito? Is that my? Yeah. Okay. Oh. And he, was a, he was a war buddy, right? He was one of Elvis's uh, buddies from the military service. They were friends for a while. And to me, it, it seemed like his story, if you find your one of your best friends on the floor in the bathroom, pants down, to save face, you know, potentially, would you say initially, uh, I found him in the bed, just to save his image a little bit versus I found him in the bathroom with his pants down on the toilet, something like that. And, you know, that's kind of just the first thing that my thought was just to save his his image, save his dignity a little bit. He didn't die on the toilet. He died in his bed. Um, and then maybe when he got a little bit farther along and he realized he couldn't maintain that story, that's when he kind of had to say, okay, well, the truth is I found him on the floor in the bathroom. I'd love to be able to ask Joe that. He's <laughs> no longer with us. Um, it's not that I haven't tried. Yeah. <laughs> but Colonel Parker was calling the shots remotely. Okay. He was telling everyone what to do. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> and then did, did they try to reconstruct? I know, um, Mr. Warlick had talked about, he found the spot on the floor and it was in front of the toilet, but could he not have been on the toilet and had some kind of distress and stood up and then took a couple of steps and then fell on his face. And then it would have, could have appeared like he wasn't originally on the toilet and ended up still quite a bit ways away. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's nitpicking. I just, I just think that there could have been maybe a couple of those things might've happened in concert you know some of those things could have happened together and maybe they could be true but then again still have a, a little bit of a cover up there well it's entirely possible that he staggered and then died yeah but that doesn't account for the fact that um 
of what the EMTs were reporting. There were signs of a struggle. Oh, okay. You know, there were, there, the place was a mess. There were papers all over. There were, everything was all over the place. And it was and, odd that he was dead for so long. Where were all these people who were that's essentially? A real good, that's a real good question. And one of the things that these, this Elvis is alive thing, and I haven't forgot about that. Don't let me forget about that. Okay. That. They talk about, you know, in the casket, his nose was different and this and that. Well, if you're tackled from behind and your face is smashed into the ground, you're going to break your nose. That's True. exactly why his nose was different. Of course, the nose in the casket didn't look like it did when he was alive. They, it, his nose had been smashed into the carpet. So I wanted to get to that, uh, mention that. Um, so then that second part of the book, it goes into the inconsistencies of the discovery. But then you also start to explore the potential suspects. And there were a lot of uh, individuals in his circle that you looked at as suspects, right? There he were, had some. He had some brothers that were in his employment, his girlfriend, and then his his Memphis Mafia as well. Do you want to just kind of give a, a rundown on some of those individuals and, and some of their potential motives? Sure. It, it's interesting when I was doing this, I thought I was the only person who thought that Elvis was murdered. It turns out that I was like the tenth. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Elvis Presley. I'll get to answer your question in a second. Sure. Uh, but I, I forgot to mention this. The very first person who knew Elvis was murdered was his father, who said right in front of all the police investigators, oh, my God, they murdered my son. So he went on and hired two private investigators to, in 1977 to solve the murder. And he died in 1979. So the two private investigators kind of went, you know, the case went cold. And that's where I picked up. Mm -hmm. So um, Dick Grob was one of Elvis's chief of security. He was on that night. He was on duty. He's another one who thought Elvis Presley was murdered. He sounds to some, some suspicious things going on. Um, Susanna Lee, she comes up again. She was one of Elvis's really good friends at Paradise Hawaiian Style. She lived around the corner from Elvis. He made the stupid mistake of going on television asking people 1978 when we're going to solve the murder of Elvis Presley. And they burned her house down. They clipped her, her brake lines. They killed her dogs. They did all kinds of things to this woman. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it was it was really uh, very interesting. Um, so back to your back to your question about the suspects. March of 1977, Elvis is starting to take control of his life. He realizes that there are people around him, stepbrothers, other people, because his father had remarried a woman named Devada Stanley, and they had three boys. Uh, who were working for Elvis, he started to realize that he needs to get his act together. His health is starting to fail. He has people around him who are not in his best interest. They're starting to um, they're starting to take his drugs and just get high on them. He redid his will and he wrote three quarters of the people out of his will that he had in there before. So there's all kinds of motive. And I want to talk about these. I've heard about this um, numerous times now about the drugs that were prescribed to Elvis. Prescribed and taking were two different things. Okay. I think there were 6,000 pills, one prescription that Dr. Nicopolis prescribed to Elvis Presley. What happened there? And I want to get to the physical part. Mm -hmm. um, because in March of 1977, they're on vacation in Hawaii and everything's changing. He's going to fire Colonel Parker. He's going to let half of these people go. So things are changing. Um, 1976, Elvis Presley almost went bankrupt. 
his father takes over his uh, his finances, which is why they want to get rid of the plane, which I, we discussed earlier. So he was almost put on allowance. <laughs> you know, uh, the guy could make a million dollars tomorrow morning. They put right. him on allowance. So all of the guys were were pill popping. It was like a little teeny drug cult they had there. So he didn't want to hear it from his father about buying pills and, and things and for the guys. So he just, just fill the prescription in my name and everybody else can have them. So I was told it was like a candy bowl in the middle of the room. Everybody took what they wanted. And if there were one or two left, Elvis would take them. So here we have all of these, this gigantic prescription for all of these pills in Elvis Presley's name. They're not in the body. They're not in the toxicology report. They were just there for everyone to take. So I wanted to I wanted to mention that so we can finally dismiss that and, and move on from there. Okay. The night before Elvis Presley, I mean you talk about the fairy tale of all fairy tales. Okay, so the story goes that he can't sleep. They go down to the racquetball court, racquetball building behind his house, and they play, I don't know, an hour's worth of racquetball. He comes back and he plays on the piano and he's singing for everybody. And then he comes back and his cousin washes his hair. And then he is next thing they found him, he's dead on the floor. Okay. None of this can be possible. At autopsy, the reason why Elvis Presley looked so bloated and so pasty uh, the last two years of his life is he had a birth defect, which they discovered at autopsy. Elvis Presley had a twisted colon. A lot of boys do. It's common. Okay, so if if I if I'm a doctor and I prescribe somebody uppers, they're going to get the runs. If I'm a doctor and I prescribe downers, they're going to get constipated. Mm -hmm. So if you take prescribing downers with a twisted colon, you've got a problem. So at autopsy, they realized that his intestines were jam packed with clay like fecal matter. Oh. This guy probably hadn't had a bowel movement in three weeks. He had to have been in excruciating pain. There's no way this guy was playing racquetball the night before he died. It would have been impossible. And another, fail, another fairy tale there is they're saying that um, he whacked himself in the racket with a racket on the shin. And that's what ended the game and this and that. No signs of anything like that at the autopsy. So the cover-ups already started. So, you know, here we have a, a moving corpse. This was in bed and then on the floor. And we have this, this Easter Bunny story of what he was doing the night before he died. And then we have a period of time where Elvis is unaccounted for and ends up bloated blue-black to the point where um, Ulysses Jones and Charles Crosby, the two EMTs who responded to the call, thought that he was a black man. They had no idea who it was. Wow. That's what the condition the corpse was in so what in the hell happened to this guy during that amount of time yeah that, make... that, that's amazing to me that he had that long apart that he was a, alone for that long and you said that he had a security guy who was there at least on the property eight hours is a long time for somebody like that to have no one around no Ooh. one ever comes to visit him no one ever comes to see him to check on him nothing it would, have been, it would have been at least eight hours. And I cover this in my book, and I really don't want to give my book away. But sure. The people who claimed that were around him that night were not. They were elsewhere. Okay. And this is what... It, look, a professional assassin will know everything about you. They mm -hmm. will know 
you know, what car you drive, what your habits are, and they look for little teeny holes in which to do their, their deeds. The perfect time for them to get Elvis was when he lays off three of his nastiest bodyguards, Dave Hebler, Red West, and Sonny West. They had just gotten, gotten fired by Vernon a couple of weeks before. The place is empty. Everyone's in Portland, Maine. Everyone's out partying. There's only one security guy in there. And there's a couple of other guys who were in bed. It was the perfect time. It was the perfect time to get him. But they had to have brought, they had to have brought some backup because you know Elvis was not a small man. He was not a small man, and he was trained, like you like you said. So to me, it's, it seems unlikely that one person maybe could have slipped in and snuck attacked him. I guess it could have happened, but it just seems to me like if you want to make sure that you're, it's going to happen right you bring somebody more than one person. If you're not using a weapon, if you're not using a knife, if you're not using a gun, essentially there was no evidence of him being shot or stabbed. No, of uh, course. There, there was something. So they obviously killed him some other way, hmm. uh, some physical way. Uh, and this is laid out in the book. Okay. Uh, of course, you had, to, you had to have seen that. Yep. Elvis had, they were working in concert with the postal vehicle who did the, who had the special delivery letter that Elvis signed for him. He went downstairs assigned for the letter. So mm -hmm. they knew where he was going to be. They knew the path he was going to take back up the stairs. They knew where he was going to be. It's easy to position yourself when you know who, what, where, when, how, and why. So I lay that out in my book. Sure. Um, and that was, that was a lot of, that was a lot. So there was a lot of information to, uh, to, to dig into and lay out. Interesting enough, side note, Elvis Presley had a fascination with the Kennedy assassination. Oh, yeah? And he was one of the first people to get this Bruder film and actually look at it. And um, my friend Mark Lane started the House Senate Committee on Assassination to reopen, 1976, to reopen, I'm sorry, 1977, to reopen the murder of um, JFK and MLK. Both murdered in Memphis. Both autopsies were botched by the same <laughs> same. Um, medical examiner, Jerry T. Francisco. So Elvis, Elvis wants to do his own private investigation into this. He's going to bankroll it. So he gets a hold of uh, William Sullivan, who is a high up in the FBI, and the two of them are going to dig into the, the JFK assassination. By the time the House Senate Committee on Assassination is over with, both Elvis Presley and William Sullivan are both dead. This guy was going across so many things at so many times, he just simply couldn't live. So you go until 1977, they find this guy dead. You have to ask yourself a question. How did they have all the T-shirts already printed up? How did they have all the records already already made, ready to go, ready to be sold? You know, today you can make a record pretty fast. Back in 1977, you know, we're not dealing music downloads. You had to physically press these. This was probably one of the greatest cold cases in history and even today if you go to graceland i don't care who you are you're not getting upstairs to elvis's lair you're not doing it elvis graceland is a house inside of a house you have the the downstairs for everyone else and the upstairs was like <laughs> superman had his fortress of solitude mm -hmm. the upstairs was elvis's place that was it nobody got in without an invitation you still can't get up there and the answer is clear. How many people do you want walking through a crime scene? Why don't they just come out and tell us the truth? 
just tell us the truth. We can take it. But the more time, and this Elvis is a live thing. Do we have time to get into this? Sure, absolutely. Go ahead. You know, I was in that camp for, for decades. I didn't believe what happened. And I, you know, Bill Bixby did a thing uh, on television and came up with some evidence that Elvis was still alive. And you know, he's become our new Bigfoot. You know, he's around the landscape. We have pictures of him walking. You know, I mean, this is getting, it's getting ridiculous now. They are, I don't make fun of those people. I was in that camp for a long, long time. But once I uncovered the full body of evidence, that's when I started to realize there's no way that, uh, that this guy can be alive. It's impossible. The evidence that they are finding, the paper trail, has been planted there for them to find. Because the more time we spend looking for a live Elvis, the less time we spend trying to solve this cold case murder. And they're doing this on purpose. Body doubles are seeing body doubles out right. there. You know, they're spinning it away with the planted evidence, the drug evidence, the, the syringes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's incredible when you look at Lisa Marie and you look at the struggles that Lisa Marie has had with substance abuse. If Elvis Presley was alive on this planet, do you think that he would let her suffer like that? Yeah, that's the that's really very compelling. You're right. I mean, the, a father would not sit back and allow a child like that to struggle the way they have she has physically, emotionally, financially, any of those things, if he still had the means and, and the wherewithal to help, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah. And another one, uh, Jerry Schilling. I've never met this man. I hope I do. Jerry was one of Elvis's real friends. He didn't have a lot of real friends. He had two or three of them. They were friends when they were teenagers. Um, and he was always Elvis's friend and he didn't give a damn about the money. And he's still Elvis's friend, even though he's not here anymore. Learning of Elvis Presley's untimely demise, he becomes so distraught, he punches a concrete wall and smashes his hand, has to have surgery on his hand. Would this be happening if Elvis was alive? You know, this is, at some point, you know, we have to, uh, we have to grow up and realize that I know we don't want to let this guy go. I wish he was alive. There's no way this guy's alive. I met the guy who took out his brain, okay? This guy is not alive. I wish he was. I wish he was. But we have, we've we got to let this go. It's damaging for, for the family. He's got grandchildren now, and he's probably going to have great-grandchildren soon. They're, they shouldn't have to sit around the dinner table and wonder if Elvis is coming to dinner. You know, I mean, this is, this is just damaging for so many reasons. And also, quite honestly, just going back to the protection of the image angle that I had said before— if he hadn't actually passed, would they really be talking about the the forty pounds of clay like fecal matter in his in his twisted colon? Would that really be something they would even feel the urge to say? You know what I mean? They they wouldn't. They would just simply say, you know, he he passed away. It was a heart attack. That's it. You know these these things that have a lot of those things have been kind of things that people joke about, right? They joke about the fact that that he was he was bloated and, and constipated and died on the toilet, and if he was just going to fake his own death, it would he would have done it in a way that would not have been so detrimental to his image, in my opinion. You know, again, that's just an opinion. But uh, I wouldn't want somebody thinking that I had died on the toilet because I'm constipated and I have 40 pounds of fecal matter in my intestines or my colon. It is not very complimentary. And so most people would want those to not be the everlasting stories that you get from somebody's passing. 
I have to agree with you because the last thing that you do is the first thing people remember. For sure. That's that's all I knew as, as a young, that he died on the toilet. And again, I, my part was he died of an overdose on the toilet. But even then, I was told that he had, you know, 40 pounds of fecal matter in his body. Why was that important to the story, right? But that's what people brought up. He was actually scheduled for uh, surgery to have that taken care of. Mm. Uh, but the timeline coincided for the mob, for the government, for the other people who were involved. Elvis Presley could not live past 1977. It became a financial detriment. What he happened actually with Colonel Parker after he passed? I mean, what? Uh, I mean, he's continued to sell his image. He continued to make money off of Elvis long after Elvis was gone. Did his family ever wrestle that income back from him? Yeah, successfully, finally. It was a hell of a, it was an undisclosed amount that they paid to him, but they were able to get Graceland and all of the rights away okay. um, from him. And I think that was, boy, for like 1985 or 86, I think. Wow, so for almost 10 more years, right. he, he was able to just make a mint, right? He was, he was just printing his own money. Colonel Parker was a genius. For sure. He was an evil genius. He, I mean, this guy was a real life Lex Luthor, you know, and he was he was steps ahead of anyone. This is how well, he also had the juice to do it. I, I think he was a psychopath. I think he was a megalomaniac. But whatever he was, he was certainly smarter than everybody else around him to pull this off. And he manipulated the greatest star in the world right into his grave. I mean, it's 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 really it's incredible. But, um, you know, this Elvis is a live thing. What they're seeing out there are body doubles. They're seeing um, Elvis Presley had a cousin named Tony, Tony Presley. Mm -hmm. I don't know about this. He looks strikingly like Elvis. There are other people out there, either surgically altered or not, that these people are seeing. And, you know, they'll come up with uh, Colonel Parker started that Elvis is Alive thing. It was good for record sales. He was the one who started it because. You know, it, it's if you're in love with the idea that Elvis is still alive, that he faked his death, it's a hell of a story. It's going to make you buy more things. It's going to make you clamor for more things. Well, and it's so, also kind of the it's also kind of the reverse of the Paul is dead, right? You may, they the Beatles did Paul is dead to also spark some interest in the band. You know, listening to the records backwards, just adding some additional. Who knows how many additional records or what have you that might have brought in from that. Uh, so this is kind of the the opposite of that, right? Elvis is still alive here, therefore more interest in his work. Sure, and it's interesting that there are parallels to other famous people who have gotten between the mob and the FBI, and they all seem to have similar deaths. Yeah, most people who get in, most people who get in, in in with the mob end up with similar deaths. So that's just that's just my yeah. one off opinion. You end up with you get in with the mob, you end up with a similar death. If you, if, you know, if you get stuck between the mob and the FBI, especially back in those days, Marilyn Monroe, same thing, sanitized mm -hmm. death scene. Her death scene was staged because she had liver mortis on the opposite side of her face than when she was found laying on. You know, um, again, uh, staged death scene, sanitized death scene. Sonny Liston, the boxer Sonny Liston, right. who was supposed to throw a fight. He ended up winning the fight. They, he was found in the exact same manner that Elvis Presley was, nude from the waist down. Why nude from the waist down? This is what the mob does to embarrass tough guys. 
this is a, this is like they do a couple of things you know a couple of telltale calling calling mm-hmm. cards they did it to Mussolini hung him upside down pull his pants down this is what the mob does to tough guys it's the final insult so Sonny Liston is found in the exact same manner he's found with uh, drug syringes all over he's got needle marks in his arm no drugs found in his body Sonny Liston was terrified of needles. He went to the dentist. They used right. to have to knock him out to do to to um, to do his dental work. JFK, same thing, only a little different. JFK gets his brain blown out. He's in Parkland Hospital. What are what are the Secret Service guys doing? They got a bucket and a sponger cleaning out the limo. This mm-hmm. is a crime scene. They're cleaning out the limo. So they all are basically done the same thing. FDR. Okay, uh, 12 years after FDR's death. Yeah, I haven't mailed you that book, have I? No, I do. I have it, yes. I have not started reading it yet, but I do have it. 12 years after FDR dies, his wife, Eleanor, is tired of hearing the rumors that he was he was murdered, hires a private investigator in 1957 to get to the bottom of what's going on. His medical records are stolen from a locked file in Bethesda. Bethesda Naval Hospital, a lot of interesting things happened there. That's where JFK's brain disappeared, and nobody's ever found it. So when you get stuck between the mob and the FBI, magical things happen. And I get people ask me <laughs> all the time what I think about current events. I don't, I don't write about that. I just write about history. Right. These people have been dead for decades. You know, I was one of the first people to to be asked to look in, into the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Mm-hmm. And I said no about 50 times. <laughs> I stole my, well, the medical examiner involved, I know. And I said, how many no's do you want? There's no way I'm getting anywhere here. Yeah, that's a little too hot. That's a little too I'm hot fascinated. right now. I'm fascinated by history. I look into stuff when nobody else looks. Yeah, 20 years from now, then then maybe you're you're safe to do it. I, I wouldn't do that now. No way. I would not touch years. that. 20 years from now, I'm going to be writing about unicorns and rainbows, and I'll be off this dead people thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you who are interested in the book, again, there are there's a lot more evidence in terms of the suspects. Uh, then the suspects get narrowed down to, you know, the, the pool of suspects get narrowed down to one specific subject uh, suspect. A lot more information in the book that we did not go into because obviously we want people to to purchase the book and read the book. My question to you is, my last question to you is, do you have any issues? I mean, I know you're talking about history and you're talking about um, uh, researching things that happened, in this case, 40 years ago, 40-some years ago now, 43 years ago. Have you had any death threats or issues or people coming to you and saying, hey, you, you probably shouldn't stick your nose where you are right now? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I've only had it happen one time. And I think that they were a little misguided. I was on television in Memphis uh, talking about this when the book first came out. And I was leaving and I was going to the parking lot with my, uh, my book agent. And I was approached by this policeman who was about the size of a sheet of plywood. I don't believe he was a cop. I think he was dressed as a cop. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, are you the person who was on television talking about the murder of Elvis Presley? And I said, yes. And I thought he wanted an autograph for one of the books. Because I'd give these books out for free if it was financially possible. I really, really would. I just want the information out. And the guy turned sideways, 
puts his hand on the, his thumb on the top of his gun and says, if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't start naming names. And I looked at my, my book agent, who was a female of color, mm-hmm. turned white, and I've never gone through traffic faster in my life. We must have gone 100 miles an hour to that book signing. We got there. We looked like we'd been through D-Day, you know. And what, what I understand why that didn't continue. The Greek contingent in Memphis is very powerful. They thought I was going to look further into um, Dr. Nicopolis than okay. I did. And I think when the book came out, they started to realize that um, I didn't do that. Um, Dr. Nicopolis was actually a suspect in my book for a while because when he died, when Elvis died, he had lent Dr. Nicopolis $275,000 to build, do an office building that he was going to, was, he was going to um, rent out suites. It turned out to be a gigantic flop. So Dr. Nicopolis was the one who not only went financially bankrupt, they took him to court and they pulled his medical license for prescribing, you know, overprescribing. So he was right. someone who really bore the, the brunt years and years later, it would be him. Um, Jared Parker, I want to squeeze this in. It's in the back of my sure. book. You have yeah. my book handy? Can you hold it up? No, I'm absolutely showing a picture of that online right now. There it is. Jared, Jared Parker um, buys letters at auction from Elvis Presley saying he's being threatened. He's going to the first annual Elvis Presley convention. This was in 2008. He gets murdered on the way there. So it's real. It's out there. And you got to be careful with it. It's it's quite something. Like I said, I'd give the book away if I could. I can't uh, just because that's the way finances work. But sure. I am selling them for as little as five dollars on my website because I have I think the books are fourteen fifty on my website. Don't go to Amazon. You're going to spend way too much. Um, and I don't have any vested interest in having people pay more than necessary. But I have mistake copies um, on my website for five dollars. They're the right book with the wrong cover. And okay. I'm just getting so go to whomurderedbooks.com. Um, there's there's two books there on Elvis Presley that I've written. There's one on uh, FDR. And the upcoming book is on Princess Diana, which is, boy, do I have my hands full with this. This is really something. Yeah, that that, that is one that I, I honestly, I'm much more geared automatically to believe that she was absolutely murdered, that it was not something that just, it was not some random accident and, and just being... Um, kind of hounded by the paparazzi and, and lost control. I can yeah. get behind you 100% in terms of her being murdered. Well, there's some parallels here to the JFK assassination. They were both killed in their cars. They immediately blamed the dead guy. Both autopsies were a farce. Um, I mean, the, I'm reading the Warren Commission report, which was a pack of lies, and I'm reading the Paget report, which was done by the French and the English, which was a complete pack of lies. Mm-hmm. We'll have to do that on another show. Absolutely. I take, I take a macro version, of, a macro aspect of it. I don't care who was driving a Fiat Uno. The fact of the matter, it was it was driven. It was planned to be driven. They were planned to collide with the car. Um, it took them two hours from the minute from the crash happened. It took them two hours to get her to a hospital four miles away. Mm. They actually spent more time looking at the dead people than they did her. Here's a woman with who has a, 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 a French royalty bloodline who's married to English royalty or divorced from, and they just let her suffer. It, it, was, it was incredible, really, what they did to her. 
I mean, people are running the four-minute mile. She, you know, I mean, she could have ordered a Domino's pizza and ridden back with a driver and gotten to the hospital faster. Right. They just let her die for no reason. Well, so, absolutely. You're looking forward to that then. That, that should be, you said, a couple months from now that'll be releasing? A couple of months, yeah. I'm trying to get some, uh, I'm being stonewalled, actually, for information. I'm trying to get some, um, an interview with one of the former MI6 officers that traveled with her couple of other people who are traveling with her who carry huge pieces of, of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I'm being blocked from getting their information. I actually am trying to hire private investigators to get their information so I can contact them and get an interview. No one's getting back to me. That tells me I'm getting a little too close. Right. And, and that's uh, about 20 years after Elvis, right? right? It's about 20 years newer. Right. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, a little bit about the car, and I know we're, t we're tight on time. Sure. The car, the reason why they went out the back door with Princess Diana instead of the front door, it wasn't the paparazzi. They saw some questionable people out front that were looking a little nefarious that they didn't want to do that. They wouldn't want to go out front. So they snuck out the back door. The bellboy brought up a car, and off they went. A little bit on the car. In April, it was August 30th, 1997, when she died. In April of that year, that car was stolen and stripped. And they had pieced that car back together. It was missing fuses. It was missing all kinds of things. This is the car that they took the most famous woman in the world right. in. It was just a car that they had laying around that just happened to be a joke it was a, it was a, it was put together as spit and string you know that's a car that a broke college kid would drive basically yeah absolutely so here we have these people going 60 miles an hour who hit an object a concrete object cars are designed for this that's what airbags are for the people you know these these people die automatically you have to realize there's something wrong mm -hmm. so again just like Elvis Presley uh, you have a quickly sanitized death scene. She wasn't even at the hospital and they were cleaning the tunnel. They didn't take her to the closest hospital, just like Elvis Presley. All of these things have commonalities. Um, I don't want to get too much into it. It's going to be one hell of a book. Well, it's, it's going to be a book and a half because I'm looking at this way different. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one last thing on sure. this. We have the Warren Commission report when they looked into the, the assassination of John Kennedy. They had the Paget report, which looked into the death of Princess Diana. You had the French and English government working in concert to come up with this information. Okay, Traditionally, the French and the English hate each other. They fought 29 wars against each other. England won every single war. All right. They're not the best of friends. So whoever is behind this is big enough to make both of them work in concert to cover this up. This is bigger than anybody can ever think. It has nothing to do with some random goofball tapping the back bumper in a white Fiat Uno. It's, it has more to do with that. I personally know people who gave testimony to the French government, to the French police, that they excluded from the Paget report. So why ask for something if you're not going to include it? Hmm. And that's Jack and Robin Firestone. They were American tourists who happened to be in the tunnel when that happened. So no cameras in a tunnel, nobody can see anything, and they just let her die in the ambulance. You know, it's it's incredible. 
if you look at the commonalities involved in these things. But uh, well, yeah, well, absolutely. I'll be looking forward to that. I, I'll definitely want to take a read in that. And hey, we'll have you come back in and we can discuss that as well. I'd be, I would love to have you back and and talk about uh, who murdered die as well. Because like I said, I can get, I can get behind that big time. Even at that time, it smelled fishy to me. I was obviously a grown man then, so it, it was. Um, I wasn't a child anymore, right? The critical thinking skills had kicked in. So I, I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah, I don't think that, um, I don't think, I think it was bigger than the governments yeah. involved in that one. I don't think that was as, a, as it was, but um, well, we're probably out of time, aren't we? Yeah, thank you so much for joining the show, Steve. I really appreciate it. Um, we, we took a moment, again, you talked about whomurderedbooks.com. That's your preferred method for people to find the books if they want to purchase them. Uh, I would recommend it again, uh, Who Murdered Elvis. There was a lot more information in that book than what we talked about tonight. A lot, you know, going into the suspects, going into why those suspects were excluded, and then what ultimately, which, which suspect you ultimately settled on as being probably the prime suspect. So if you're interested in that, whomurderedbooks.com buy the book, purchase it. There are other options there as well. And again, Mr. Steve Ubaney, I really appreciate you coming with us, uh, coming on tonight. And um, hopefully we can get you on again. It'd be great. I look forward to that. Uh, and thanks for, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Have a good evening. Take care. Thanks. So there you have it. Mr. Steve Ubaney, we're talking about the murder of Elvis Presley and a little bit about the murder of Princess Di, a brand new book that he has coming out here in a couple months. I wasn't kidding. There was a lot of information there that we did not get into tonight. Uh, that All of the information that we could have gotten into around the suspects and the rationale and the reasons for why each one of those people would have benefited from Elvis's death was really kind of fascinating. You know, it, it is sad to me to think that a man who was that universally loved was also that alone all at the same time, right? He was universally loved and he was alone. Uh, and he was alone behind bars in his home, uh, ended up dying on his face alone for eight hours before he was discovered. There's something sad about that. You know, and you hear that a lot. You hear that a lot where individuals become so famous that they have to isolate themselves to the point where they really don't have real interactions, real uh, friends any longer. Everybody's employed. Everybody just wants something from you or lives somehow off of you. It's got to be a terrible existence. It isn't one that I would want. Take that with the fact, again, he's getting involved in the FBI. He's, he's getting involved in investigations into things that he shouldn't be touching. He has these mob contacts. He is tied to probably one of the dirtiest, meanest men alive who manipulated him, manipulated his family uh, for decades, for years. How are you as famous as Elvis? and have a million dollars in the bank, and that's it. Uh, well, you do that by giving 50% of it to Tom Parker and just being swindled out of the rest. You know, a bad divorce, obviously, is part part of it as well. But it was a very interesting book. It was not something that I thought of or that I knew prior to picking it up, prior to looking up um, Steve and, and this series of books. Again, I was under the impression, like, probably 90% of America that the man just had an overdose on the toilet and died there. And that really doesn't do it justice. And when you start seeing all of this evidence that he compiles and he, he lays out for you in the book, and he uses his citations for where he got some of that information for, from, because there are a lot of books 
related to the death of Elvis and the information that surrounded it. When you start seeing all the inconsistencies in the eyewitness testimony, the inconsistencies in um, the position of the body, the time of, of death, the lack of, of lethal drugs in his system, uh, you start to put all those things together and then you kind of do, it bears the question, what really happened? Your critical thinking skills have to get involved or, or you just have blinders on and you're not really paying attention. Interesting. Very interesting. What are your thoughts on that? Any of you out there have any alternate theories on what what could have happened to Elvis or any of those individuals? We talked about Marilyn Monroe tonight. We talked about FDR tonight. We talked about Princess Diana tonight. A lot of people who had um, very circumstantial deaths, things that happened that there are a lot of questions surrounding the the particulars. What are your thoughts? You can contact us using our email account. It's provemewrongcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Tell us what you think. Tell us if you have alternate theories or if you know other information that maybe we don't know. Who knows? You can also drop us a line on Instagram or Facebook. We are Prove Wrong Podcast. That's the name of the show on either one of those platforms. If you were just looking for content on the show itself from the podcast, we are on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Anchor, Really, anywhere where you find podcasts, you can find the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Like and subscribe to the show, and you will be the first one notified when a brand new episode is released. We typically release a new episode every week. So like and subscribe, you'll be the first one notified, and you can hear conversations like this one tonight, which I think was very interesting and thought-provoking and just kind of kept my mind going. I kept having the next question and the next question and the next question, and I knew this was going to be a long show anyway. So I, I actually held back on some of it. But, you know, grab the book and it'll give you a lot more information. So before we go tonight, uh, we're also on YouTube. And here is the scroll at the bottom of the page. Once again, like and subscribe to the Prove Me Wrong YouTube account. And you will be the first notified when new content is released. Again, every week you'll get a brand new video on YouTube that you can watch. You can watch these conversations live on YouTube you'll be the most educated person on your block about the murder of Elvis Presley. Before we go tonight, this episode of the Prove Me Wrong podcast has been brought to you by Java Remix. Java Remix is the perfect blend of 100% organic Arabica coffee infused with nano-emulsified CBD. Start your day off on the right foot with a great tasting cup of coffee with all the demonstrated benefits of pure CBD. Java Remix offers traditional ground coffee, single-serve K-cups in both regular and decaf as well. If you aren't a coffee person, Java Remix also offers CBD-infused teas and beauty products like bath bombs and body scrubs. As an added benefit for our Prove Me Wrong listeners, if you go online right now, javaremix.com, and enter the promo code PROVEMEWRONG, you'll get an additional 20% discount off of your entire shopping experience. Java Remix also offers free shipping on all orders over $40, so you have literally no reason not to give it a try. Once again, that's javaremix.com, promo code Prove Me Wrong. Prove Me Wrong podcast is brought to you tonight as well by Zendozone Citronella Burners from J.T. Eaton. They're shaped like fearless, bug-repellent tiki gods. So let Surf and Stan, Hawaiian Howie, and Luau Lily bring the islands to your backyard with Zendozone Citronella Burners. Zendozone uses natural 3% citronella candles and incense cones, and they are perfect for patios, decks, backyards, campsites, poolside, and more. Enjoy the outdoors again. You can find them online on Amazon.com 
or at select Ace Hardware stores. So go ahead and collect them all today. So once again, from my guest tonight, Mr. Steve Ubaney, we talked about the murder, potentially, of Mr. Elvis Presley. My name is Pete Lieb. This is the Prove Me Wrong Podcast, and we will talk to you again soon.